One of my many hybrid children were dropped down to a little town in Bolivia. They tell me he knows he was adopted. All of them like, they're fascinated by space, they love tech, they love, you know, all these Trekkies, and they're either in science or math. Some of one's a butcher, one of my um, ones in China is a school teacher who is a polyglot. One of their children was born with aquatic. You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Always a blessing to present another show for you today. Well, we're going to traverse the universe with a very special guest, Galactic Ambassador Mary Edwards. Welcome to the show, Mary. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. (laughs) Boy, have we got a story for you today. Mary's story is just extensive and I'm looking forward to exploring it along with you. And please remember, if you're liking the shows, to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I know people say it on their shows all the time. really does help the algorithms. You might have noticed I turned off uh, most of the advertising on all my shows, so many platforms don't like that and don't share the shows, so it's up to you guys to share the shows. And uh, this helps people get their message out there. I don't monetize these shows, so it's not a money-making thing. It's to really just expand consciousness and get people's stories out out to the world. Reading Mary's bio, you know, she's... um, passionate about sharing her story sort of later in life you've kept it under wraps for quite a long time Mary haven't you yes I have I I didn't figure everything out I didn't realize it was so complex so it's taken a a lifetime to unpack all of it and I feel I feel like I know most most of it now or anyway up until today a few minutes like two seconds ago but it was pretty complicated partly because my family was in the military and worked with government NASA and everything so it was always everything was hush hush so I was never yeah Yeah, I think it's probably a lot more to unpack but uh, we're going to explore a lot of it today let me tell you a little bit about Mary's story so you know what we're talking about Mary Edwards has enjoyed a wild and wonderful life she says from ET contact which inspired her paintings at five years old to learning of her off-world travels where she was trained and recruited by ETs to help enhance off-world planet environments, to discovering the secrets of her rocket scientist father and grandfather and learning from artists and architects who inspired her love of space, work in art and interior design. Mary helped design the interiors with NASA's International Space Station. Wow, that sounds amazing. After many regressions, Mary found out about her hybrid children. Many of them I think you've got, haven't you? You've got many hybrid children. More details of her off-world travels and her mission on Earth to connect our galactic families. She's illustrated and wrote a children's book, a couple now. You've just shown me your second one uh, with Barbara Lamb. The first one called Real Adventures of E.T. Friends in Space, 
which helps children learn about positive ET visitations. The book was written to reduce the fear and show friendly, advanced learning with our ET families. Mary is an artist, an interior designer, teacher, author, hybrid mother, international speaker, and she has her own podcast show called Connecting with the Stars with Mary Edwards on the Conscious Awakening Network on Apple TV+, Roku, YouTube, and many audio platforms, exploring our infinite potential when we remember our multidimensional lineage. Her passion and mission is to ignite others with high vibrational art, environments, books, and interviews. Mary hopes to share her stories and other people's stories to create programs that inform and inspire others from children of any age to learn, grow, and expand their mindset to explore the beauty and the magic of our vast cosmos reality and of other world potentials. And your website is maryedwardsdesign.com. Is the website more about your interior design or is it? Yes, it is because I still have clients on, you know, normal clients. So yeah, um, I'm only really coming out of this, um, talking about this really in the last couple of years. So I've yeah. kept, but I, they can be, they can reach me other ways, but that's my, that's really my base of operation. Well, let's go back to, well, I, actually, before we go into childhood, I'd like to hear a bit about when you discovered about your father and your grandfather being, uh, working for the military. Right. Well, I think I do need to start from the beginning. I grew up outside Chicago in Kenilworth, Illinois, in a big, beautiful, stylish, lovely house with a huge backyard, but it was a ravine that went to Lake Michigan. I grew up in a what I thought was a pretty normal family <laughs> until I got taken on a spacecraft at age three. But basically, to give a paint a picture of my my family and my background. My mom was an artist. She just passed a couple of years ago at 98. She came from a, a very interesting family, which I'll unpack in a few minutes. Mom and dad met in fourth grade. They were married for 50 years, and they had similar passions of travel, of curiosity, of creativity. And there were two sort of big Chicago families that merged when they got married, but they had a you know a lifelong love affair really for a long time. I'm one of three girls. So um, mom was an artist and she loved everybody. She was a superconductor. She connected dots like nobody in the world. We did a lot of traveling. Everywhere we went, we were in Rangabad, you know, India 40 years ago. We were in Hong Kong in some little you know, gallery 45 years ago. And I'd hear, Betty, <laughs> I was like, mom, how do you know everybody everywhere? So I grew up in this neighborhood that we grew up in, happened to be a lot of the industrialists of Chicago. So they were not only social, but brilliant and movers and shakers. And next door were the Wrigley's. And then I'm, and the Senator Percy was a couple of doors down. And then Laurel, my friend's father, was always spraying out doors, his blown furniture. And that was Rustoleum. And then Zenith TV and, you know, Seven Up and Kraft Food. And I'm not saying this to be egotistical or like braggy in any way. I just thought I grew up around like we all did whatever we were supposed to learn. I chose that family to learn and to be able to uh, explore a lot of the planet and beyond is why we, I guess we picked each other. But mom was uh, private and also very social, if you can be, be, be that. And I am that too. I'm very, 
I know tons of people because I've traveled and I've worked and I've taught and I've done interiors all over the planet. But I'm, I'm very selective and very careful. I don't like negative people. She was an eternal optimist, almost too much so. I never saw her cry. I never heard her complain. But what she instilled in me and my sisters, particularly me too, I was more like her that way, where I just, when it was, you know, something came up and I had a lot of strife in my life that I'll get into. Um, I was part of my lab and programs when I was young, but mom, like never explained, never complained was that's what you did in the fifties, particularly in sort of the, some of these fancy backgrounds. I mean, that's what I grew up with. Nobody talked about anything. I, I knew about fam, fam, these family companies and I'd see them on TV and I did commercials for Quaker Oats because I was, we were friends with them. Um, but we, I, I, did, I thought everybody grew up like that. The weird thing that I found out for my parents and my father was that, that they, he had this, well, I knew he had a, a big aeronautical aerospace company, but what I didn't know is it was mostly top secret. And I've just learned that more and more over the years and really over the last few years, actually. But um, our house was um, filled with interesting people when, um, and it always interesting. And I'm very hypersensitive. I, I have PSTD, but I was dyslexic and sensitive and I picked up everybody's emotions. So I sneak down the stairs dressed up in my little party dress when I was a little girl. And then I'd last for about a half an hour and say hello to everybody and zoom in on the people that I thought was interesting that I still do now. And I'd go back up to my room. But um, dad was quiet and smart. He would, uh, went to Choate and Princeton and Northwestern, like his two brothers did, like his father did, like his grandfather did to be groomed to run work at this aeronautical aerospace company that his grandfather started in 1893. So for really up until the 90s, when after when they sold it, when space stopped, basically, that it was a, you know, Cook Electric Company and labs that I really never heard much about other than I went to one of his big companies when I was five years old. And it was the size of 10 football fields and I saw rockets in there <laughs> and and they even frisked me when I walked in there and I they drilled me and I was a little girl with my father who ran the company with his dad but anyway so I always knew there was something different but nobody talked about what they did it was always about getting being involved in the community it was also always about giving and being you know caring all these company all these families it was an incredible little hubby of one couple square miles of really fascinating people, a lot of dysfunction too, of course, but I didn't know that. <laughs> but we, um, mom and dad wanted us to see the world. And I, we started going to London when I was young, we'd go to art galleries. Um, we'd go, we have dinners with ambassadors. When I was a little girl, we started traveling, we did Europe and then we did India and Tibet, Nepal. And then we did a, a month long trip going up the South China Sea on the first ship. Then after that, we went to the Balkatik in Russia the following year, like 1979 or 1980. And then mom and dad wanted to go. And dad was working six months out of the year. He was gone working on his company. So when he, we came back, we'd go up to Lake Geneva in the summers a little bit for you know a few weekends. But then we always did these big trips. So I, it, was, it was really incredible to get big trips. Then we spent a month in the Serengeti in 1981. By that time, you know, later on, I had a husband and a couple of kids. I'm divorced now, but I would do, I always wanted to go everywhere and anywhere and to see the world. 
So anyway, I, I was lucky to get exposure globally, really, when I was young. So I've been pretty fearless traveling all over the world for my work for the last 50 years. My mom's family happened to be, um, you've heard of Sherman Oaks, California. Have you ever heard of Sherman Oaks? It's a big city in, in California. Well, mom's family had a, her lineage goes back to William Bradford, who came over here on the Mayflower and basically started Thanksgiving and started America. And he was the governor of Plymouth for eight times in a row, which nobody ever had. So she comes from a long line of pioneers and um, futurists, really, who were doing things. And her, my, her, her mother, my grandmother, Elizabeth Sherman, her father, my grandfather on that side, Dad's company was Woodruff and Edwards and Rockets. And then mom's family was, they had a, one of the big, you know, the old um, ranches in the United States where they'd have cattle in Kansas. Well, the, the Sherman Ranch, he started the Sherman Ranch in um, Kansas, and it was a couple, few hundred thousand acres. And I'll go back into my background a little bit. Other than extensive travel, I was curious about everything, and I wanted to know more about how I could be involved with the, this this experience that happened to me yet when I was a little girl. So um, dad and I went on a spacecraft when I was age three. We were in our house in Chicago. I got taken up. There were a few little grays there. There were other a few other ETs. I had many regressions that have helped me come to terms and understand that my hybridization and some of the stories um, and the experiences that I've had that's been really interesting over the years. Dad, because his company was really top secret, he never ex really got to talk to me about this, about our being on a craft together. And I didn't understand why he was there. But um, he passed a few years ago and I've been talking to him and I've learned in the regressions and talking to other people. I've had many 30 or 40 conversations with him now, he said, I couldn't speak because I was working with the government, with the military, and with NASA in the early 50s when they started designing and manufacturing heavy rocketry and reentry systems with all these different, in, with these different facilities. So um, I knew that he was at White Sands a lot all through my childhood. I grew up in 1951. Every night was the dinner table was those dang Russians. So it's like we've, history repeats itself with the second space race. I grew up with this first space race, and now we're in the second space race, as we know. It was fascinating hearing his stories and now actually talking to him through a medium that I do and talking to him and the Pleiadians and other all the other information that I've been gathering over the last, well, thank God for COVID because I just dove into all of it. All my interior projects stopped. <laughs> And I just went, that's all I've done for the last several years is find out more about why they couldn't talk to me. And I know now he couldn't say a word or we wouldn't, none of, he wouldn't be around and we wouldn't be around. So um, when he went to Choughton, Princeton and Northwestern, the reason I'm mentioning that is he, Albert Einstein happened to be at Princeton back then when he and his, actually his other older brother were there. And then um, he was, did electrical engineering at, University of Chicago, Northwestern, and met Oppenheimer. And then he World War II happened, and he went in, he was a Navy pilot, became a lieutenant as a pilot during in the Aleutians during World War II. Then he came back after World War II and 
continued and be, became head of research and development for Cook Electric Company and Labs, which by that point in the late 50s, they had 10 huge locations, which I've just found out about recently. Eight or nine of them were in Chicago, and then they had a huge 150,000 square foot space. And I guess where that was, it was right next to Wright-Patterson. So I've been putting the pieces of the puzzle together myself and through aggressions and through talking to my guides for on and off really forever. Um, but now I'm understanding how big it was. He came back and started going to Area 51. And he's been telling me recently about how what it was like to go to Area 51, December 19th in 1951 with the whole day with Werner von Braun, which was really exciting. And what it was like to be with eight you know, Army, Navy brass and a few psychologists and going down the long, you know, many, many stairs and dark, dark, hush, hush environments. And that day, he said with Werner von Braun, who was working for their company, and of course, was working with lots of different people over the years. He and dad had, he said, they had actually talked and had a lot in common. And they were, all the brass wanted, it kept asking him was, how do we reverse engineer this? What are the materials? Dad said he had two or three materials, half inch, one inch, two inch materials. And his five times that he went back afterwards, it was the same asking what do we do with this? What's it made out of? Is it titanium? Is it this? Is it this? How can we re replicate it? So he had a pretty interesting 1950s and 60s with Werner von Braun. And um, they had 400 scientists out of his company that they could hire out and go and do research anywhere for different things. And now I'm just starting to unpack all of this piece of information, which is sort of interesting. The other company that um, his father had started, grandfather had started, was called Woodruff and Edwards, and it was a big metal company. And they, I've been finding out more and more, they did propellers for the war in World War II. Um, then my mother's family happened to, you know, do Sherman Oaks and ranching and different things. But um, her dad was an architect who standardized two by fours, and he had a design build company and a lumber company with his father in Elgin, Illinois, where my parents grew up. And I've just learned recently too, because it's numbers under an NDA now, and I went to talk to one old, really old uncle that has been helping me and I've been getting a lot of information online and through guides and different people. They were, dad, they were making coffins for the wars too. And they were making propellers for the war and they were making parts and they had the largest hardware company in one of the wood one of the cook electric labs down in texas was had were making parts individual parts for sonar for elect for all these different for submarines for air balloons for um secret stuff secret everything for from the 50s well the 40s through the wars all the till 19 the early 1990s when they sold the company so it's been really interesting to hear about his stories and what it was like back then. So I said to him, finally, just this year, I said, why didn't you ever talk to me about going on a craft when I was, that's why I, why I did this book. That's me. I drew me on, on the craft with grays and there were, I drew sort of what I had seen. Well, obviously, Dr. Turing didn't have any clothes on, but 
Um, and he said we were sworn to secrecy. He said we'd all be dead if we, we were, you know, if we were told to keep our trap shut. And I said, how much did mom know? And he said, really, not much. And I said, how much did the uncles know? And he said, well, they were running, working with um, President Truman under his four point program. They got dismissed from going to the war so they could help develop um, big business around the world, not just the United States, but all over the world. So I'm just unpacking all these different layers. And I'm sorry, I get sort of minute with it when I start going into the details. I apologize about that. So they were really heavily involved from the, you know, from from all the way through with the military and with the Navy. Dad was very loyal. He said, I was truth honor, you know, I'm not going to talk about that. So anyway, we went up on the craft at age um, three. And then I went back at five and I had about a thousand eggs taken from me that I've heard from different sources, whether that's true or not. Do you remember what happened to you when you're up on the craft? Do you remember? Oh, I mean, did it, was it revealed in your regressions? Do you remember seeing and who you saw I, and what you saw? I remember it like it was yesterday, but because I did get drugged, it was like what a lot of people's stories are that we all hear. I remember not floating up there, but I remember being on the cold table as a little girl. And I was so was confused why my dad was there. And as I said, I just unpacked it this year and I'm 72 years old. So I feel like I'm now going, whoa, was that a fake? Was that really him? He said, yes, that was really him. And um, I remember the table. I remember the bright lights. I remember three little grays on top of me. I remember the size of the needle, which really freaked me out and the bright lights. And I was, you know, just laying naked on that table. And I remember them poking around a lot at me and he was comforting me that when I was there, but, and then I just completely blinked out. I could see bright lights. It was, uh, and and then it was gone. I mean, that was it. I don't have any mother. And I've been in four or five regressions with that. And I can't, I don't really get anything more out of that, which is unfortunate, but, um, and then I heard that through these two that I was part of my lab. Um, as So I had um, some sexual abuse from age three to 12. I'm not going to go into details about that, but I'm still unpacking that. I had 30 or 40 electromagnetic shock things happen to me. But also from birth, I remember always being protected by by the Palladians and Arcturians. And I know they are now because they tell me that and they share this with me. So I started going off planet um, when I was a little girl. Dad never went back that I was recruited by the ET, they tell me, in all these things that I've been learning, that they saw my sort of psychism and my 94 generations of our family that had done lots of interesting things. Like we all play our part. You do what you do. I do what I do. Dad did rockets. I just happened to do design and art and architecture. But anyway, and now now I know that I've been off planet 35 times this year. I've been up 220 times, they say, and the numbers vary. They've been grooming me as they do. And I'm so grateful for their support and their love since I was born because I really couldn't make sense out of it. I always knew I was protected. And I'd always say to my parents, everybody's looking at me and I'd lost time and I... I just couldn't really figure out. I thought I was crazy and they, they weren't allowed to validate the, these, these things. But the first time I came back from the craft and this is, I've been carrying this around with me my whole life. 
<laughs> this is the first, I, I told you, I grew up in Lake Michigan, that's what I was getting at. And I painted hundreds of rocks. And dad said, oh, this is a craft. They come in all different shapes, shapes and sizes. But anyway, I've been carrying this around as my first validation that I wasn't completely crazy. I have some paintings in the other room of it as well. So for people listening on audio, Mary's holding up a rock and she's painted it orange with a yellow and green circle on the top of it. And Yeah, it looks kind of like a bullseye, actually. It looks like an orange, yellow, green bullseye. So your dad said that's what the ships look like. Yeah. He said that was a 220-foot 220 220 round craft that we were on. And he said when we were going up there, they were, you know, shaped, you know, they could change colors and, of course, different shapes. I have some in the other room. I didn't bring them in. They're too big. I just would yeah, take pieces of wood. It's a, similar, it's a similar shape to that. It's, and it's the same pattern. And I've been drawing that same pattern my whole life in design and rugs that I've had made in India and Hong Kong that I distributed through 70 showrooms. It's It's been a part of my sanity. So it wasn't just only the water and the rocks and the story now that has validation, but my love of creating a sense of place. And I grew up with a little dollhouse in my bedroom when I was a little girl. And I just, I was always playing in that saying, oh, what do you want to do? Do you feel too sad today? Do you feel happy today? <laughs> anyway, and I knew then when I came back, painted this, and I had this in the little dollhouse. And it was, it was a picture of me and the dollhouse on the cover of the Chicago Tribune. Because so my grandfather was going around the country talking about the value of wood the sustainability of wood, that we better really be careful and not chop down all the different woods. And he started Architectural Woodworkers Institute. And he was really the first advocate of saving lumber and being careful of not wasting wood by, by, by standardizing it. Each one, mom being an artist, I got a BFA at college. And then I went to interior design school and I got an interior design degree. And then I went to architecture school. And in my second year of architecture school, I got hired by NASA. I really wanted to allow people to have their voice because nobody talked to me my whole life. And here was this sensitive girl with all these learning issues. And I knew I was really smart. I knew I was really dumb and crazy because of these experience off planet that I had. But anyway, so yes. Mary, do you think that, that you got hired by NASA was because of the connections too with your father and grandfather? Do you think well, Avant, Dr. Von Clearwater, who hired me, I was a contractor there. I wasn't hired. I was there, worked there for many years. Yeah. I've asked, and they said, everything along the way, we were supporting you and grooming you step by step. And when I wrote NASA at age nine, though, myself, I, I wrote NASA um, at age nine and said, I want to be the first woman astronaut. So they, they all told me, my guide said, you already came out of the box like your dad and that wiring. You were the one of the three girls that got it. You know, thank you for everything because I've loved my life doing it. I always wanted to be an astronaut. I always wanted to be an architect. I always wanted to be an artist. All the A, I, all I ever wanted to do was advance and elevate and go up and be up there. And so, yeah, I mean, I think they helped. They said they've helped all the way along. And then my daughter worked at NASA. So it's really a multi-generational and multidimensional, um, really elevation that they said they'd been watching us for 94 years. I mean, I was a doctor in Atlantis and I was an architect. Who was they that have been watching you? 
the Pleiadians, Arcturians, Andromedans. I mean, the galactic family the guys. My galactic family have right, been right. helping me, helping me, guiding me, putting stats. When I went to at six and seven and 10, when I went on the first big crafts, I can remember them putting information in my head. They said they were building up data. And even a couple of weeks ago, I knew I was up. I knew they were visiting me here. And I called a friend of mine. And I said, I'm just validating that that's what they were doing. They said, oh, yeah, they were putting more data in your head. So I, I'm so grateful that they have been helping groom me and you know upload me with information and data particularly now because I've been going off planet so much, helping create these subsurface habitats and all the inside planets of the solar system. And then in some doing interior work and artwork, very much like what I did at the space on the International Space Station. Um, Dr. Von Clearwater hired me because I was teaching at a university. I was teaching art and design at the, at the Academy of Art College here in San Francisco. That was one of the criteria that you had to be teaching. And I've always been like you, I'm a teacher. I want to share stories. I want to help educate people with the, whatever I know, which isn't a lot, but I, I love what I do. I love art and design. And I wanted to help students get their careers going because nobody really talked to me much about it because I was a girl in the 50s. We didn't count much. And I, I thought, what can I do to help others? So I taught art to kids. I taught I taught about suicidals in summers. I taught her therapy at cancer when I was working on hospitals for many years. I always just wanted to help other, well, women and men, all people who had learning issues or who had not been spoken to in their lives to help them figure out themselves. So I've been on a mission my whole life to help others who were insecure, thought they were crazy, had these experiences. And that's why I waited my whole life to do this book and was when I asked Barbara to do it with me, I was tickled pink because I wanted to help children in a positive way, learn real stories. And I got the best person. I went up to her contact in the desert, what, five years ago. And I said, and I interviewed a bunch of different people. I said, I know you don't know who I am, but I have a story and I want somebody to help me do it, but I need validation myself. So anyway, that was a really wonderful thing to be able to help others, kids particularly, have parents, and we got so much feedback from this, because I wanted to validate that that was me there, and that this was my real story, my story, my story is not even in here, it's all Barbara's from her regressions, but it was symbolic of how we all help each other, whatever part we're playing in this ascension here on the planet Earth right now. And they keep telling me that there are 11 of us, two artists. And because of my background, I, I'm an artist and I'm a designer and they call me scientist, part scientist too. They have me come up there. And because of my background of working on big projects and fearless, and they said, well, we like your psychism. We like that you bend. We love the way you communicate between the ETs and the humans. There are not a lot of people who don't have judgment. You're always, you know, you work all the time. They see how what a hermit I am here. So they take me up a lot. I've been, as I said, I think 30 or 40 times this year. Um, but it's it's all about the passion and they love my sense of color. They like my sense of, um, uh, that I like use white walls. They come here, the dramatists have been here. They come and they, they were like, what's with the pictures? And I said, well, that, that back there, that, art that I did right there is the first moonshot 
from 1952. And then I weave together stories, which is what I've done with my art my whole life, trying to piece together all these fractions and fractals of my life from the good and the bad, and the ugly, from being terrified to not being spoken to, but knowing I was here on a mission that was very different from anyone else. And that's why it's taken me forever to come out of the ET closet, I call it, because nobody's heard of this and I can't validate it really, other than I, my guides validate it. Barbara, Misha, Johnston, Glenda, who's, they see me up teaching in, in, in hologram. I've been teaching, they say, ten, for 10 years to the Palladians and kids and kids on craft, teaching them about, about ethics and about what color and design's like and how where they might want to live on planet Earth. Like, I, we go up there. We want to figure out where we live up there. Do we want to go to Mars? So, I mean, I've been to Mars. I've been, they, they took me at age three um, after they did that part of the first hybridization. They took me for two weeks to Mars, Jupiter, and uh, Pluto. And then each time they take me to have me explore it. And I guess that's why I was a pilot in 1400. And I've done so much background information to find out, like, was I really up there flying all over the place? It's been really interesting putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And why me? I keep saying, and they they take me up there and they say, what would you do with this? And these interiors are, you know, like dark, dark underground, like caves that you see. And so they're carving out areas. Some of them are 3,000 square feet. Some are 150,000 square feet. Some are, you know, miles long and they keep growing and growing at these habitats as um, and they're very raw because it's the the rock of their material you know of their planet and um and there's um some crew that are there i'm there there's the, they said that the the alpha team the design team are 11 people and there are uh, two of us from the United States, a couple from South America, one from India, one from China, and we all have different roles. There are six architects. There are three, three designers. They said that I sort of blend in, around, and that's why they like me, because I've got um, skill, a skill set in all of them. They use us as a team and then separate us out to do different things um, when we go up there. When did you have the remembrance of this? Like what happened to you to wake you up to start to discover this? Oh, I've been having memories my whole life. Um, I went to, when I went moved to Boulder, Colorado in ni- at 19 to go to um, college, I went to my first astrologer. I've been going to psychics. We did, I didn't know about regression. I've been going to people my whole life. I've seen, I've seen ghosts. I've seen crafts curling around. I saw my grandmother when she passed. I saw her as a 25-foot angel. When our maid died, who was my best friend when I was 16, died, I, I saw her as a ghost. So I've had, I've been having, I knew I've, I can smell, I'm hypersensitive. So I, I've, I can smell things. I feel things. I feel presence. I, I knew my Palladian friends are always, one of them was, Joan is always right here with me. I've been having memories, but back then there wasn't anybody in Boulder. I mean, I got Rolf. I did. I've always been a vegetarian, basically. I've been doing all these things. And I always just wanted to be the frequency of Mother Earth, which is really weird. Baha'i Temple. Have you ever heard of Baha'i Temple? Yeah. 
we have some beautiful Baha'i temples. Yeah, and there was, it was down the street from me. So when I was a little girl, we mom would make us go to you know to our church, and then I'd jump on my bike and I'd go sit in there and go. This is the kind of places I'm going to be designing, and I'd sit there. And then mom said, you know, what are you doing down there? And it was I said, I'm just I go there to get quiet and go there to. And I didn't know that they had a relationship with ETs back then either. So I've always known I was really different. And I always wanted to be normal, but I've always, I, and I, and I can see through walls when I walk into space, I can read housing yeah. and space better than I, and I can read people when they're in their housing. And that's why, because I never felt comfortable in my own skin. I always wanted to make people feel safe and comfortable in their own skin. And because I grew up with artists and architects and rockets and I was mad when the, you know, the, the like a dad would say, oh, the like of the doggies died in space. I was like, I'm going to do that someday. I'm going to, I'm going to work for NASA and we're going to make space stations or whatever it was, whatever the craft are pretty and comfortable. So people aren't scared and stressed out up there. So basically you started speaking about this when, when you met Sheila and the Galactic Alliance. And oh, the I've been, yeah. Oh, I've been talking to people for my home, wherever I could go. And because I was going to India at a rug business in India, anyway, I would go there and I would find readers. I mean, and then I was in Hong Kong because I had my other rugs made there. And then somebody come out to me and I, and they'd say, you're a star seed and you're a hybrid mom. I mean, people would come up to me and I'd go, I don't know what that means. So I have been trying to learn more about it. And why did I feel pregnant my whole childhood when I had never been intimate with anybody at boarding school? I was, you know, I would have gotten murdered by my parents if I had did anything before college. So I knew that there was something I knew that I was, I'd had a lot of babies, but I didn't understand it because I was on the pill for many years. And so it was all these things that I've had to be unlocking. And so I've been piecing it together step by step that I knew I was always on the right path. And now I'm thrilled to be doing what I'm doing on planet, even though it's a little crazy and it, most people don't believe me. And they say, you know, you can't validate it. And no, I can't. But I know, I know what I know. And I'm grateful that I have been so supported and, and helped and loved for so long. So Mary, what is the mission that your galactic guides have said? Like, why did you incarnate into a physical form? I mean, one of the missions is to be a part of the hybrid program because you're a hybrid mother. But what did they lay it out? Like, we're, okay, you're going to come here, you're going to be human, and we want you to do what? What did they want you to teach, do? Teach, 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 be an activist, be a, um, a, they said, I'm a change agent. They said, I'm a manifester, I'm an activator. I inspire people, and I really always have. That's why I've always taught on the side. I've always helped people realize who they were more. And I had to go through the back door sort of pretending to be a psychologist, even though I took a lot of psych classes and everything to create a sense of place and calm and beauty for people. And I've been searching for that. My name is Mary Edwards. Me, I've been trying to figure out who I am my whole life. So it was me curious about how did I, how do I have so many parts of things that I can't understand? Those pieces of the puzzle were very complicated. They said that I'm here to help heal and really, they said, you're touching, you're, you're the future of humanity. You're wonderful with the ETs. You're a good communicator. 
you're very smart, you bend, you can come up with a, you know, 20 ideas in five seconds. They said, you're a quick thinker, you're a quick study, you care about the, you care about the ETs, you care about space and how they're all going to work together because my sisters and my mom never sorry, I mean, I love you, mom, and I love you, my sisters, but they were always going, why, why are you bringing home stray dogs and stray people and helping the homeless? And I mean, I've been involved in the community forever. Why are you tirelessly working in the community? And I said, I don't want to sit at the club and drink a martini. I would rather <laughs> die than not help others like me who are trying to figure out who they are and what their purpose is here. So when Metatron and said to me on one of Sheila's things, they said, Mary, we know you. You're here to speak, 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 write books, write books, write books, and help heal people. What is the Palladian, if they had a message for humanity, what would they want people to know? They said, Mary, you're here to create peace and to help people find out who they are more, like what I've been doing, searching for my whole life. And also just to keep don't never give up stay positive listen to all the opportunities do not you know keep your blinders open help other people understand that we are not we were not the only ones help them understand that we are just here all to live together and to, and to create the future as it evolves together like we did we've done for for eons since we've been here so mary have they asked have they told you when they would be more available to the human populace, like disclosure? Have they said we will, people, the human race will know that we are interacting with you? Have they given you a date or a timeline? No, I mean, they said, you know, Mary, you always ask so many questions. <laughs> you always wanted, you're so impatient. They laugh at me all the time. They're always going like this, like my dad and other people past. But anyway. And they said that there are millions here now. I said, how many are here now? And they said, obviously, a lot. They're, I mean, and some people say it's going to be in November or it's going to be this and the world's going to collapse, all these different philosophies. I, they just said, we're up here watching. We're up here rooting for humanity to elevate, to raise our consciousness to, and play your part. That's what we're all here doing is just to play our part, to help rise, to not go down into the fear to keep moving up, to keep positive and helping. Whatever we do, we're all here to play our part and to help nurture and nature. And Mary, what about your dad? What was he, when you've spoken to him in the afterlife, what was his mission? Why was he in the military? And, and how did knowing about the ET, in, in, ETs interacting with the human life, how did that help him as a, someone in the military? Oh, he said it helped him tremendously. He said it was very lonely. I've talked to him a lot the last of this whole year. I talked to him like three times a week now. And he said it was very lonely. Mom didn't, he knew that mom didn't really know a lot and she couldn't. None of, nobody else in the family knew as much as he did. He said, other than going off planet with me, he had been, he started going off a lot when he was six. He has a bunch of hybrid children himself. He said he got it from his father, like I went up with him and his grandfather and back all the way. Um, he said he was, he, it, his mission was to help connect. That's why I call connecting internet or space. I've been saying I've connected inner and outer space of mind, body, soul to environments, to on and off planet. And now I'm just starting to come out with 
saying I'm really connecting in or outer space in the way that I know how to do it. You do it differently. Everyone has their specific wonderful role that they do. But dad said, um, I said, what was it like when you had Alzheimer's for that last eight years of health um, when you were so out of it? He said it was actually very quiet. He said, I loved every moment of my life. He said, I loved the rockets. He said through Alzheimer's, all the way through, they were there watching him. He said he still talks to them. They, he still um, connects with them. They ask questions. I said, have you seen Werner von Braun up there? He said, yeah, we had coffee. You know, I, I said, have you seen Einstein? And he said, yeah, we get together. Actually, he said, I, I worked so hard and I was gone so much from you girls. And mom was so independent. She had her own money. She had a great life. I mean, she was, they were perfectly matched together. And then they go and have trips and they were really ador- wonderful together. They had a really lovely life. And she didn't really care about space that much. But he said up all through Alzheimer's and that right before he passed, I said, did they come and speak to you about what you had done? And they said, thank you so much for all you've done. And he said, it was actually nice to just sit and be able to relax. And I had him at Sonoma Acres, the senior housing place uh, about an hour away from me here. And I went and saw him all the time. And he said, I would just thought about and reflected. And when I talked to him the other day, I said, what are you doing now? He said, I'm still trying to figure out World War II. <laughs> and he's up, um, he's connected with a lot of my friends and other people who have passed that um, I've done books with, or I've done a couple other books with other people. So you said, Mary, that he he met Oppenheimer, and he's also speaking to Oppenheimer on the other side. Did Oppenheimer, when he was physically focused, was he aware of the ET presence that was overseeing humanity? Or- yes. He he only talked to him once, and he met, um, even like he met Eisenhower a few times off thing. But he said, I said, did you ever talk to, did you ever, ever get a chance with Werner von Braun? He said he was just so brilliant and so interested and interesting. And he said, we really connected. And I, and I said, well, what was, what did he say? He said, they had a couple chats that were not in, that were like offsite sort of about ETs and ET a couple of times. And that he, they, I mean, I think they talked about it a lot more. I can't wait to continue the conversation and learn more about it. But they, they got, they got some, he said they got some conversations in about how, how, you know, they're concerned about us down here, you know, um, not making the best decisions right now and mother earth is hurting and people it's taking it's a lot of heavy lifting to lift everybody else up, up up but he said he's he's still loving being up there and it's fascinating meeting talking to the people and he's still they still ask him he said they still consult the navy the the military still consult with him and um they're still trying to figure out what more about what the et what they can learn from him the military still consult with him. Who's him? Dad. I mean, it's a, how does the military? He said there are different ways of, of they ask questions. I have to talk to him. I, he told me this a few weeks ago. So I have to, I found out more of how they, how he talks to them because I don't know. Well, we, we can all talk to different people that have. So through a medium. Because, you know, there's a major motion picture coming out about Oppenheimer. I was there the first day. I was the first one in line. It's the best movie I've ever seen in my whole life. Oh, so it's already come out. So it's just that that his energy is being reintroduced back into the collective through the major motion picture. 
and there's always a reason for that i mean well uh, and they were he was he he was also i'm sorry he was i was just going to say he in you know his later life he was so ridiculed made fun of for you know he he had a lot of empathy he in his later years um i've heard several talks on it he, online and through the um through a museum in new york it ruined his life he didn't realize that pushing that button would could really hurt and damage so many people that he was really concerned about it that he was going along with it while he did it when he was making those decisions and dad said they spent a quarter of their time working on on the manhattan project in those years and i haven't had a chance to unpack all that with him or i'd be talking to him 24 hours a day because of all that involvement that he had i mean he was part of it and i said didn't you feel guilty i said i remember you drank a bunch and like when i was in college and he said yeah it was a lot of pressure we were you know designing bombs and doing those things together and he said there was a lot of pressure on us in the privacy and he said every day there was a lot of tension but he said it was really exciting because they thought that they were really helping i found when i was cleaning up mom's house last year there was a letter from the um, U.S. government to Dad that was from the United States United States of America War Department Army Sur Service Forces Corps of Engineers for the Manhattan Project. This is certified that uh, the United States Army. It's too hard to read. August 1945 from Secretary of War to certify that Cook Electric Company has participated and work essential to the production of the atomic bomb, thereby contributing to the successful conclusion of World War II. The certificate is awarded an appreciation for of effective service. So I found that digging through piles. There's my grandfather. and the, So I have a lot uh, to figure out more of what they did. Isn't that crazy though? So it is crazy. I'd love to know what the galactics are saying about humanity and their developing bombs and weapons of mass destruction. I mean, what are, what are the galactics saying? Well, they're, as you probably know, they're, they're terrified of us. I mean, they are scared that we, we are, and our United States is, you know, we're putting everyone in harm's way. I mean, they're scared that we are going to be stupid again as we were before. It's, it's, they want us, they're up there watching all the time, hoping that, well, they're not going to step in and help us, but they say it's it's really terrifying what we've this war-fearing planet that we've turned into, in particular our United States. Have um, they given us? Have they given you uh, any um, any advice on that, or you know how to alleviate a, a a nuclear war? Or you know, I've heard that the Galactics have disabled or our nuclear warheads. Yes. And that the humans think that they've got this power, you know, it's under their belt. But if they right. were to ever detonate them, they would fail. So that's what I've heard. Have they said? Right, I've heard that too. Dad said that. They said that. They've done that forever because I mean, all of his companies were near military bases outside Chicago. They were near O'Hare Airport and where we sort of farther away from where we grew up. But he said that was the the biggest fear, and they they were. He said, I, I said, how did you sleep with yourself? And, and not be able to talk about it. He said it was very lonely. He said, I'm so grateful that we're having these conversations now because you're the only one 
all the our other families are dead. And his two brothers worked on the Woodruff and Edwards part of it with the military. They they and they didn't go off planet. They did not have the the um, psychism and the DNA part of it that I got. And my sisters didn't get, and his father had, and his grandfather had all the way back. So, um, so Mary, it's been have, fascinating. Have you got human children? Yeah, physical children. Yes, I do. I have um, a, a daughter, Lizzie, who's 33, who's a global community manager at salesforce.org. Lizzie is in the philanthropy and education department because we that's what her focus was in graduate school, in college and in graduate school. So she connects 40,000, 50,000 people a day by inspiring them to make better connections with people. My son, who and she worked at NASA for my old boss, and I used to go down and visit her and do art with the kids, the school kids that were coming in. My son, Alex, he is now for the last 10 years working as one of the main um, planners, futurists, basically planning our many hundreds of acres of uh, right at the base of the Golden Gate Bridge is the Presidio Trust. So he is one of the three workmen who plan and because he's he's um, got his MBA and then he's gotten all these a couple other sustainable degrees and he's obsessed by plant life like I do interiors and he does outdoors. <laughs> I'm so proud of both of them. They're wonderful beings and they have their part ET too. I'm, I'm supposedly like a small percent of human now and a lot of ET and they I've been watching them. They're both more getting into it. They, I know both of a couple of them have hybrid kids. We've, they've had some experiences. They're getting more into it, and they just sort of go, "Oh, mom, woo, woo, mom." But they're now asking a lot more questions. So that was um, the question I wanted to ask yes. you: was what do they think of your uh, disclosure? You know, you coming out publicly and doing a podcast show. Oh, and they're books they're and- a little embarrassed by it. I mean, <laughs> they saw me on the Travel Channel when I went. Um, they flew me down, you know, six months ago or eight months ago, whenever I went. And I was very disappointed because I'm a positive person and they have my picture and they film me and they took a few, you know, I said it was really scary. Like it is when you go on a spacecraft, right? I mean, like any of us who have been on a spacecraft, it's scary. And they, and I just said, but I'm not going to talk about anything negative. I'm a positive person. I love my ET friends. And they, they, you know, they have that fear level and the hour and a half of filming they did, they only use negative things. And that's what I was so frustrated by Ben and those guys on Travel Channel. That's why I'm sort of pulling back more now, too. I just happened to turn it on the other night, turned on the uh, Travel Channel, and there I was with the fear factor and the the few things that I said that was um, negative they used and not any of the positive things that uh, my ET friends uh, saved my life. They've helped me and loved me and nurtured me and my family forever. And now my children. And I was really disappointed in that. I don't like that at all. Typical. Yeah, it's very typical. But mainstream um, media. I mean, somebody right. told, somebody told me a long time ago that had the Gate Organization. What, what did that stand for? I can't remember. But putting more positive messages into media, and he said the mainstream media. You know, they have a slogan, if it bleeds, it leads. <laughs> oh, <that's... laughs> they want oh, yeah. to hear all the negative. And there's nothing wrong with sharing negative stories as long as as long as we find the reason behind this contrasting experiences, like why did that happen to you? You know, because it's all, you know, there's a reason. 
but the mainstream media doesn't want to talk about that. They only want to just sensationalize things. So it's so interesting. So your kids are a little bit embarrassed, but are they are they becoming more on board now? Are they? Oh, they have because I've been talking about this since they were little. Because I said right. I'm not. I, I said, mom and dad, mom, dad. I mean, mom didn't talk about it all. Dad is now. I said, I don't want lies. I want you to know the truth. So if I keel over tomorrow, could be tomorrow, like tomorrow, um, I want you to know the truth. And I said, Lizzie, you kept asking me for projects, but they both would during high school, you know, in college about family trees and where's Cook Electric. And I'd say to mom, where is it? Do they have, did, is this some kind of like, I didn't know what the word term secret space was back then, you know, they're 30 and 33 and 35 now. But um, so I knew then I called a couple uncles and they said, oh no, we don't know anything about anything. So no, but I mean, my whole life was a lie. And I said to dad, the first time I talked to him, I'm so mad at you, but I forgive you already because I know you were sworn to secrecy. So I've been, and he said, Thank so you, you never, you never had a conversation. How long ago did your father pass? He passed about seven, seven, eight years ago, but so I did not long ago. So you never had a conversation with him. Ever, in no, only only spirit. Yep. And, what only about, spirit. and what about your sisters? Are they on board with what you're going through or are they? Well, they, my older sister's tolerant, uh, but she lives nearby and we're close, but I just don't go there. I, I, I've showed her the books. I, I, I sent a couple of my uh, YouTube and she said, very interesting. And she's very um, open, but now she, and I know, and I know because I know um, there are things that happened to her too. And same with my little sister that will never be discussed. And so I just don't bring it up. I just say, you know, if they ask, I say, oh, I, I showed her a copy of the new book I'm, I'm working on. She said, oh, that's wonderful. And it, yeah. plus because it's just uh, normal stuff. It's about creating leaders it doesn't yeah. have the et part but i know the age of the I know they 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 must have known things and i just pressed their buttons a little bit so i've been very careful i'm very respectful of my family and my children and that's why i have didn't come out of the closet to talk about this for a long time because i wanted and and i was waiting for the second space race i mean i literally was waiting for this to because I loved growing up with it. Dad and I were always with the, I said, was that an O-ring? Was he for the craft, for the liftoffs? He was there. He was there for all of it. And uh, nobody else in the family cared about it. So it was, it's the thrill for me to ask him all these questions. Like, I mean, it's just, he said, I said, was it amazing, Dad? And he said, it really was a blast. He said it was. A blast. Yeah, and I know <laughs> we were sort of laughing because he doesn't talk the way I talk very still very rocket scientist you know, engineering um but he's wonderful and he said i just love what you're doing i said how do you like some of the spaces he said i really like all the some of the color that you've you've done on the, um in pluto he said i really like your big murals of color he said they're really getting it and he said i said well what else should i do and i asked the place so this is i've uh, been i was at mars two times so i'm trying to put in sort of what they look like these are two floors. These are this is 1.5 million square feet each level. They wanted me to create Earth-like aesthetics with lar large murals um, because the humans are living in all these subsurface habitats. It's all about isolation and confinement. And they get very depressed, like the astronauts did up in space. I mean, when I worked on NASA, at, you know, at the first International Space Station a long time ago. I said I wanted they bought 500 of my photographs because I've always been a big photographer 
And I said, can you, you can we put images, cultural images for the first International Space Station? Obviously, ESA was there. We were having a mixed group. There were women were going to come up. I designed the first sleep restraints. Um, so they remembered. I said, do you remember it? Then they said, of course we remember, Mary. <laughs> like, that's why you're doing it. You did it on Earth. And I said, when did you decide that I was ready? They, and the, our dramatin said, well, we've been training you for 40 years. I said, well, isn't it ready to do more? I mean, what else do I need to know? So this was, and you can see I put in the space station where they the astronauts have to exercise for an hour and a half every day. I've, I've got trees in there and actually got to, um, and it did a lot of color. I mean, it was, obviously we were creating a wellness interior our mission was to de-stress the astronauts as much as we humanly could and create a multi-sensory interior that was functional, cross-cultural, and personal. So this was the design that you did for NASA, is it? Yes. It was the um, Dr. Von Clearwater was hired to open the first space human factors office. And they grabbed her from Bechtel. And she was the most incredible woman I've ever worked with. She hired me out of a few hundred people. And um, let me bring my students down to get involved in these some of these the, some of the work we were doing, and then I suggested we do a full size mock up down at Johnson Space Center because Dad said, "Why the hell they hire you?" And I said, "That is really mean. We're going to figure out a way to scientificate art and design and a sense of place." I mean, we we were we had um, Richard Haynes worked with us. We hired a team of about twenty five people to create Earth ground orientation. I said, "We have to." Don't we have to make it as much as a as a, a, a home-like environment with earth ground orientation? So we spent about a year interviewing all different people, different psychologists to try to come in to help us in their specific areas. Um, and then we built a full-size mock-up and we flew down there all the time for a couple of years and, and tested pupillary dilation and heartbeat as much as we possibly could in an environment. What I've noticed in that all our sci-fi movies and shows and stuff, they always show space travel like um, Star Trek and it was where gravity is inside the ships. So right. it's like you have this environment where, but when you look at real or supposed real footage of people up in space, humans up in space, right. they're always in an anti-gravity environment. They're floating around and... Uh, have the ETs said anything to you? I, so according to what we're being shown, humanity has not created a, a gravity, you know, to create its own gravity inside ships. Have they said anything to you about that, the your galactic guides, about creating gravity inside ships? I'm sure they've back-engineered it in the secret space program, but in the NASA programs, not yet. I haven't because I've, I've spent so much time talking to them about what they can suggest that I do. And they keep saying, we like what you're doing. But anyway, they, I don't know. I will ask them. I'll ask them soon. I'll ask them next week and see, because I've just been trying to figure out how, what more I can do. Dad said, make it a little more. I said, I think it needs to move more. And of course, they can bring in, you know, when I go up there, they can just put lighting in. I mean, we figured we had to figure out how to make it work for the humans who have to sleep, right, and eat. And now the new thing is, too, that because um, I suggested a while back last year, a couple of years ago, maybe we should start putting in more um, greenhouses since more humans, you know, they're planning for the future. 
more humans are going to be living up there. And every time I go back, they have me go back and review the art. What have we done? Because these are, you know, these cold, raw spaces. So it's art because of habitability and human factors that we, the humans get, and everyone gets bored. They get depressed. They get, I mean, talk about mental health issues. So they're all different shapes and styles of, of, spaces that we've been working on depending upon how and it's all pretty raw and crude i mean it's been now been 220 trips not 125 i always ask so they show me an empty cave and said what do we do so we take it from looking like this to building these like quonset huts and i you know they like they love the murals and i said last week what else do you want in there and they said we like waterfalls like in disney and I said, that's so sweet because the water's moving. I said, remember, we, I put those in the space station, water with trees, no people. And they said, yes. It's like, oh, my God, that they remember from the 1990s. So um, they want Earth-like, pretty, happy interiors that make allow people to feel good. And we're trying to make some of the, like, this is a really raw one that's inside of um, the sun. Um, you know, it's all synthetic fabrics, you know, they're, they like the sun because of the base is more convenient to earth. Like there, they have 10 different villages inside the sun. So they can control gravity. They can control heat and all those things that we don't know how to do down here, but we're still trying to create a home-like environment like we did with a floating mobile home park, like the space station. I said, if you go from day till night, every hour and a half, I said, why aren't there windows? We need window treatments. We need sleep restraints. So I, they let me design sleep restraints. It was 50,000 double rubs. And I'd done hotels and restaurants. I'd never, you know, the restrictions, the requirements back then, it was a long time ago, were very strict. But we did the first sleep restraint. So they weren't just floating around, banging into each other, attached to a piece of Velcro. Like, woohoo, this is habitability and human factors. <laughs> We're supposed to try to make a more comfortable living space that's practical because they, all they wanted was functionality. They wanted, yes, they wanted the astronauts to be distressed as much as they could, but they wanted productivity because they were free. So I'm a little bit confused. You've designed for humans for NASA, and that was a while ago, and you've been designing throughout most of your career for off-world beings. You've been helping them design habitats for places like Mars and Pluto and the Sun and Saturn. So when you're helping these people and you say you go there, are you going, are you projecting your consciousness? Are you going in your astral form? Are they taking your physical body? What's What's going they on? take me in all different ways. And I, since I'm not a scientist and I don't know, I'm not advanced like you are, they take me in all different ways. They take me energetically. I become like a robot inside. They take me all different ways. They said it can take five minutes for me to get from here to Jupiter. I don't, I, I, I mean, I'm going to spend the next five or 10 or 20, 30 years trying to figure this out because I don't understand. They said, we take you in all different ways. Because I said, well, how am I not? I mean, I'm 72. I said, how am I going to not be affected? And they said, well, we protect you. And I don't, I'm not an astrophysicist. I don't, and I always asked dad, I asked them when we talk and they said, you're fine. We were, you're protected. They, we just zip you there and we zip you back in all different ways. So, so they're, I, they're wanting your knowledge as someone that is physically focused in the human world to help them design habitats in their uh, ET environments 
Yes, on S. It's interesting because we are such a low level of consciousness here on Earth. It's interesting that they would connect to the Earth consciousness to design. Like I've heard of people that have been in ETN environments and some of the things that are designed there fascinates me because I was telling Mary before that I used to be an interior designer before I became a healer and a teacher. Uh, We should do some interiors together out there too. Well, (laughs) maybe I am, but... Um, I don't know if they need my skills because I've heard like the lighting up there, people have said there was no source of lighting, but it was completely lit and they couldn't see where the lights were. It was just a glow. Because they they just, they could just bring it in. I say, how about we do 500 cans and there it is. I mean, it's crazy. We know, just light fixtures. I mean, just cans, recess. Yeah, but people have said there were no light fixtures and yet it was completely lit and they couldn't figure out where the source of lighting was coming from. Like, where's the light coming from? And I thought that was really interesting. And and, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Emery Smith talk about. I I know. I've known Emery for, for years, yeah. Yeah, like talk about how you can go up to a wall and you can press these sort of buttons or lights on a wall and then. Um, food would magically sort of materialize and 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 chairs and tables would sort of come up from out of the ground that you didn't think were, yeah and like yeah they're just amazing like no and then they just bring stuff. in a sofa I mean no I've spent thousands I mean hundreds of hours with Emery over the years we met a long time ago and six seven years ago contact in the desert and he walked yeah. up to me and said you don't look like what are you? I can't figure you out. And I said, I can't. <laughs> so I worked on some projects with him in Boulder. I know I, I was he called recently. And um, anyway, he, you know, I loved, I loved his stories when I first met him and we, we've sort of remained close. He's a really good guy. I know it's been through a lot. And I visited him a bunch of times in Boulder. We worked on some sustainable projects together. That's interesting because yeah. there's quite a bit of bad press out there about poor old. Well, I know he had he had a low time. A lot of people he had right. a low time, and yeah. um, he's coming back. He's done a lot of stuff. He's back. He's back. And I, he and I'm not going to go there, but he's he had a lot of time, and and he's back. He's has really, he ever thought to put you on on his show on Gaia because he's been. Yeah, on- he, well, he, yeah. I mean, yeah. Have, but have I, don't you, talk, have, I don't want to talk about that right now. I don't want to talk about him or that but yes he's invited me to come on I, I was filmed with I went when when I was in Boulder a couple of years ago I was there with him when they went at Gaia when they were filming him and Randy Feitenheimer who's also a friend who I did a book with so anyway yeah I I, I know those some of those guys anyway because I lived in Boulder and they were friends of a lot of a bunch of my friends so I um so yeah I mean you know people go through hard times this is I mean I I hid out for a long time. My PSTD was so bad when I finally got tested, actually through a friend of his like six or seven years ago. And they said, so you your, P- like- your PSTD, what's that? Oh, I, I knew I always knew because I've worked with veterans and homeless uh, veterans for a but long time. What is PSTD? Post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because I knew because I'd worked with at, in the hospitals. I worked at Marin General Hospital, California Pacific Medical Center because of my ET experience of aiding hospitals so much. Also, um, both of my kids had accidents and they were in the hospital and it was like there were there was no art. I mean, I have transformed three San Francisco hospitals a long time ago when my kids got hurt because nobody was caring about what the inside of the interiors looked like. So I really worked yeah, on that. I often and, think about that, Mary, uh, because oh, you know, 
a healing environment should be beautiful. I, and well, yet hospitals are so ugly, you know. Oh, yeah. cold. And I mean, and I've donated, I started the Ronald McDonald House here 30 years ago for seriously ill children. I painted the walls. I got donations from all the showrooms because I had my rugs in 70 showrooms around the country. I got floods. I designed rugs for them. Um, it's all about creating a sense of place yeah. and space for people to feel good in and feel it like it's theirs. People say, you know, I did a $30 million bill in Italy. I worked on a 30,000 acre hotel in China. They say, we just want your design. I go, no, you're going to get involved with it with me. This is about you. <laughs> you know, uh, you I always... feel comfortable in your own space with your own colors and your own vibe and your own furniture, yeah. you know. I've always been fascinated with this. I had a furniture shop for five years and did interior design and used to design people's, but I, I knew that that wasn't my dharma in this lifetime. But I remember I was telling, who was I talking about? Anyway, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. There was this big conference in Sydney years ago, over 20 years ago, called Metaphysical Mastery. And I remember talking to someone about a tsunami. We were always talking about the tsunami that was going to hit the east coast of Australia it's been talked about for 70 years and back then 20 25 years ago I remember sitting in this big conference center with about 9,000 people and all these American spiritual teachers had come to Australia to speak and I thought this is the tsunami it's a tsunami of consciousness that's hitting the east coast it was there was one of the speakers of this whole day of listening to like Wayne Dyer and and, um, Louise Hay and all these people that have since passed there was one speaker who spoke about feng shui it was the first time i'd heard about feng shui in my life that captured me that day and i went home and looked at my house and i had intuitively feng shuied my house and i thought whoa isn't that i studied with a chinese master i had to take uh 25 years ago i had to take a chinese translator they let me in um, cause I was working in a lot of Chinese hotel uh, rest, you know, facilities for like 20 years. And I got this amazing man. He's now passed too. And he said, Mary, you're just a natural. And so I got yeah. to study them for two years, two nights a week. And it was just unbelievable. Yeah. So, you know, we're intuitive people and that's, and I never dreamed that. For people that don't know what feng shui is, it's the flow of energy through a space. It's like where you place furniture and where you place color and what even in design where you put your toilet and where you put your bedroom. And yeah, it's the flow of energy moving through a space. And it does yeah. make a huge difference. I it think. does make yeah. a huge difference. And when I was working for this like triple billionaire guy, Mr. Zhao, he would fly me over and we'd go stop in Beijing. Then we'd helicopter over to another building and he'd say, here are five floors, do it. And it was like, oh my God. And then, and some of the furniture, I mean, but it was, he said, he said, I know you intuitively get it. And I spent on and off years, he's just come back. Uh, um, the Chinese architect that hired me before just called recently and said, he's back in business after all COVID and everything. He said, we want you back. So you know, I think things are going to start picking up again. But also what I find so interesting is there the ET now are having me last 10 years I've been teaching up there. And um, I said, well, what do I teach? Sheila see me in a hologram. Uh, Glenda see me. I don't see me in a hologram up there. But I actually I drew it in a in one of the pages of the book. They said, Mary, you, you already put it in your book. And I said, oh, of course, <laughs> maybe I'd, like this this picture that I drew, you know, I did drew all the drawings, but they said they see me up in the Pleiades 
in a in a circular area, me like an Arcturian or whatever I am, talking about design and color. And they've they've all they've told me this for years. It's really interesting. And I said, well, what else do I talk about? Because I don't I can't see myself visually in a lot of some of these places. And they said, oh, you're, and they tell me, they said, well, you're teaching them not to fear coming to earth. And they said, you're not only talking to them about art and design and culture, because your travel, your extensive travels, which is why I was talking about that a little bit too much earlier. But um, they said, you know, you've been to China and South America, North America and Alaska and, you know, all I've been to most of the continents and stuff, but I mean, I'm not like an expert. But they said, well, what, where are the nice places to live? And I said, well, what do you want to live in? Do you want to live in a smaller town where you can sort of hide out a little bit like where most hybrid, most of my hybrid kids in China and South America and the United States are, in, are, are all over the place in small little environments. So they look a little bit unique or a little different, more, a little more hybrid-y that they're not going to get as attacked. They can fit in to the environments a little bit quieter without getting as known or as seen. I talked to them about Rumi. I love music and art, the arts and travel and culture. And they said, well, where should we live? And I said, well, if you, Alaska's beautiful. You know, South America has lots of places you can go. So they're asking me all these questions. It's like, we want to know where to go there. I mean, I, after I left NASA, they say, why don't you to work on Mars? I mean, now they're asking me where to come here. And I said, well, it depends upon, it's the same thing where, I mean, it's, 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 it's incredible. I mean, it's really exciting because, and they say, well, we trust you, where should we go? And I go, well, what kind of lifestyle do you want? What, do you want to hide or fit in? And they're already, what, 22 million, and there are millions here anyway, living amongst us. We know that. I can see a few here and there all the time. But um, isn't that interesting? So they're scared to come here, and we're mostly scared. Some of us are scared to go there. Why do they want to come here? Why, why do they want to come they're here? They're fascinated. They're, they want, they, and they said, we want you to do our interiors. I said, right so on. When you say yeah. we, are you talking about a specific like, are you talking well, about Palladians? I'm mostly Palladian, Arcturian, and Andromeda. Mostly Arcturian and Palladian. Is, I'm from so Palladian. are these Arcturian, Palladian, Andromedas, are they humanoid? Are they human-looking, you know, beings? The ones that are they're on spacecraft, and I've seen them on different in different facilities. I don't know what they are going to look like when they come here. I don't know. I mean, we know they're hiding and they're looking in diff different, looking, they are in different forms here. You probably a lot know a lot more about it than I do. I just keep trying to say, and all I know is, is well, you have to figure out, you know, are you coming with the family? Are you where do you want to live? Like all the basic things. I've had a real estate license for forty five years too, and I bought and flipped houses like everywhere, from New Zealand, as I said. I've lived in Paris. I've lived in Switzerland. I've lived in Hong Kong for a while. I mean, I've lived a lot of different places. I said it just depends upon what. If you want to hide out, I have um, seven hybrid children that are in small little towns around China. They're all in their twenties or thirties because that's when I was. They were getting a lot of merry babies out there. Um, I have some grandchildren. How are these hybrid children coming to Earth? Are they being born through a mother, and their DNA has been spliced with your like DNA? Me. Uh, right. Yeah. So, I mean, or, they, or are they just dropped off and they're in orphanages? When I first started going to people about hybrid and hearing about my hybrids, first it was 50, then it was 100, then it was, then it was hundreds. 
They told me last week it's 2,600, that I have 2,600 because of my DNA. They like my particular, they like your DNA for whatever you do with them. They like my DNA. It's a lot to talk about all of this, all just in a short amount of time. But maybe we should do a whole other. Maybe we, oh, we could. A whole All I know is, is they, I know I said, I said the same thing in the beginning. Do they drop you down to Stork or put them outside a police department? And they said, yes. One of my many hybrid children were dropped down to a little town in Bolivia. They tell me he knows he was adopted. All of them, like they're fascinated by space. They love tech. They love you know, all these Trekkies and they're either in science or math. Some one's a butcher. One of my um, ones in China is a school teacher who is a polyglot. One of their children was born with aquatic. Had, were born with, some were born with three fingers and three toes. So there are lots of me and them every, like all over the place. If it's really 2,600, but I've only heard about, I've only investigated maybe 20 of them. And I, none of them have wanted to know about me yet. They've asked, I've talked to two of my Pleiadian children in the Pleiades and they said, thank you. There was a, a psychic woman named Shirley Bolstock, who I learned through a friend of mine who had passed. She asked me to do a book. She was dying of breast cancer. And she said, Mary, you're the only one that I would trust because I love your design. And can you do a quick book? And I said, well, why? And she said, well, I have stage four cancer now. Anyway, so one time when I was having a reading with her four or five years ago while she was well, she said, oh, you're play two of your Palladian children and the father just popped in. I said, oh, you're kidding. Like, wow. I mean, that's the first time I had heard any. And I said, well, what are they doing? And they said, they want to meet you. And I said, well, hi, what are your names? They said, well, we one of them is named Mary. My middle name is Elizabeth. And then the father came in and he said, thank you so much. We love your history. We love your DNA. Thank you so much for allowing my children to have such a great sense of family. And it's so wonderful to meet you. And here I am on a Zoom call with somebody. And I said, well, can you see my apartment? And I said to Elizabeth, I said, what do you like? And she said, I said, how old are you? And she said, six. I said, what do you like? And she said, I love design. And I love that you're a designer. I said, what colors do you like? And she said, pink and blue. And I said, do you want to design something right now? So I got up my pad of paper and I said, what do you want to draw? And she said, overhauls. And so we started designing back and forth. And, um, and then they, and then a call that I had with them a few weeks later, they said, we have now two of your cousins have your DNA too. And I said, oh, you guys just pass it around up there. And they said, we're not like you humans. We just, we just want to enjoy it. And we just sort of panned it around and it's, it's not as precious as maybe you think, but we are really appreciative of of now that they're four with your part of your DNA in it. Yeah, I think that as humans, we get so caught up with identifying who we are as the body and the ETs, the extra dimensionals, right. you know, they see it as a container. They see it as a sleeve yes, or they exactly. see it as a vehicle in which they can experience a different environment, but they don't see it as the, who they are. And um you know, like as you say, hybrid mother, I mean, if somebody's carrying your DNA, 
that whole they're my child they're not your child if you're not mothering them you know no, they're, exactly. they're just carrying your dna no and that's why i just said when bring it on and that's why they like i mean they keep saying because i'm just open i i don't own anything i've never yeah. liked ownership i didn't have, like all this. have you spoken to geraldina roscoe about your hybrid? of course yeah she's yeah. been here i've done readings with her she we were nice. going to do a book a couple of years ago together yeah no she's great we've she couldn't believe how many i have she I mean yeah. she said you know what I mean? She she came in here. I think you got more than her. Like she was the first. Oh, I have like way more. And she said, "Oh my God, she's actually the one like suggests I go down to the travel, because she thinks I'm got some unique qualities." So she's the one that got me to fly down to the travel LA group. But um, yeah, no, she's wonderful. Um, and she asked I, me a while ago if I knew people that were hybrid mothers and I said you know I know a couple but it's really um, I suspect that there are a lot more people on the planet who are but they're not aware of it they're not aware right. of it yeah right yeah well, until you when I look at when I look at my mother's family she came from an English family and her mother and father were both short and kind of fruggly looking <laughs> and they had these she, my nana actually had six children, but two of them died. So they had these four children and three of them were kind of fruggly looking and kind of short. And there's mum, tall and magnificently beautiful. Like, where did she come from? Like, where did she come from? <laughs> Mars. Her DNA is not her parents' DNA. She doesn't look anything like, I mean, she has some features, but it's, um, and I have another friend too who has two very short parents. And as somebody who's studied genetics, I know that if you've got two short parents, you're carrying recessive genes and it's impossible for you to have a tall child. And they've got this, their, their youngest child is really tall. Where did he come from? Right. <laughs> Someone's tweaking their DNA. <laughs> and so, I mean, people take it so seriously. And that's why even on that show and a lot of the shows, people, people want to get into it. I don't know. I I mean, it's just, it's totally wild, but this is how we got here. This is what yeah. we're doing here. We yeah. are propagating. We are going to save humanity and go somewhere else. If we screw up our earth and it will just keep going and going. I don't like attachments that way. I've never been that way. And I, that's why they said they like me and they burst out laughing when I say I, it's just, we're here to do what we're supposed to be doing here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, and I'm happy. I'm doing things that I love and that I'm passionate about, like you. Yeah. It's like I'm here to I'm here to serve, and I always have been. I've always known that. Yeah, so I just let it all go. I mean, the rest of it is just like, okay, take me. I'm, I can't control it anyway. And Geraldine or people say, well, what about your free will? I said, gone a long time ago. That was like, <laughs> but the, I, hybrid, the hybrid program's been happening on Earth for you know millions of years. It's not something new. I mean, the yeah. whole way we've evolved our human body is through a hybrid program. So exactly. yeah, it's just continuing. It's just interesting to be aware of it. Most people are not aware of it. Oh, Mary, there's so much to talk oh, about. No. You know, I'd love to invite you into the inner sanctum because we've been yakking for now for nearly nearly a couple of hours. Oh, <laughs> to, fun, thank to you. invite you into the inner sanctum where you can share your powerpoint and uh next year uh because we're booked out for this year but yeah share share it with the group and we'll we'll get more into it and people can ask you questions i suspect by then you will have discovered more things because you're continuing i hope so i walking. never stop mm -hmm. I, Thank you. I really appreciate that. And I've loved to conversation today. You're, you are so positive and so wise. I've always loved hearing you with the, along the way. And I really respect and admire you. So thank you for being such a positive, can-do, smart woman. 
<laughs> thanks, Mary. Thanks so much for sharing with us on the show. All righty. Thank you. Whoa. <laughs> what a wild and crazy conversation with Mary. She's got so much to share, so much to share. She was saying that somebody asked her to do a documentary about her father and her background, and I said, yeah, that would be great, but that's a big project. That's a really big project. But it would be great to see how it all dovetails together. I had so many questions that I didn't get around to asking her about the connection with her father. Uh, I think she could write a whole book about that. Yeah, I kind of want to know. Yeah, I want to know so much. If the military back in the 40s and 50s were talking to off-world beings, how are they still developing atomic weapons? And uh, like she said, her father in spirit, she said, what are you thinking about? He said, how did World War II happen? How did it happen? Yeah, it's it's so interesting. It's so interesting. Yeah, so interesting. I guess you've got to figure out who she was talking to in the consciousness or who they were talking to in the consciousness of their uh, of who they were yeah it's also interesting lots of puzzle pieces that need to fit together lots of puzzle pieces that need to fit together so what did you think of that have you got something to add to that i think that um hybrid program is interesting uh, maybe a few of you will be activated during this conversation have memories of uh of what you're doing with galactic sources and off-world beings and star family reunion got a few star family people coming on the show in the coming weeks disclosure disclosure i was going to say i I didn't manage to say it that disclosure is happening in many forms it's not just about disclosure of who the ufos are and the uaps but the disclosure of what's been happening to humanity over the you know since humanity began it's like the disclosure of who we are as multi-dimensional beings and and the populace, um, I think it was Garnet Schulhauser was saying in his many conversations and his many astral travels with his spirit guide, Albert, that he was shown a woman who was a human-looking woman. She was a university professor who's, who taught physics at, at an American university and that she was a total ET being that had a holographic image around her that she could turn off the holographic image was of a human (laughs) but she wasn't human she was an et living on earth i mean this sounds wild but um i think anything's possible really and then when she turned it off she would look completely et or alien i don't know what like did she look like a green insectoid i I don't know i don't think i maybe i did ask garnet that question she might have been a gray but anyway she looked completely different to a human but this holographic image around her meant that everyone that looked at her saw a human and she was this university lecturer so yeah there are ets all over the planet both in the hybrid you know hybrid ets and um yeah i mean as i said to mary when i look at a photograph there's a photograph of my mother i don't know where it is now i've lost a lot of the photographs but i remember looking at it when i was a little girl of her 21st birthday and her standing with her family and she looks so different and she's so much taller than the rest of the family i'm like how did this family birth you like where did you come from (laughs) she looks so different absolutely different absolutely a part of the hybrid program but she was not aware of any of this during her lifetime not aware of any of it I am though, I carry her DNA. So when Sheila talks about walk-ins and hybrids and all that sort of thing, 
there's a lot more than we know. There's a lot more people on the planet than we know that have um, been interacting with galactic sources and are a part of the evolution of the human DNA and body. Yeah, it's so fascinating. Anyway, let me know what you thought. Love to hear your comments. Who's coming up this weekend? No, not this weekend. Next weekend in the Inner Sanctum, Don Hudnall is coming up. Don is just amazing. He was, uh, you know, I do the Inner Sanctum twice a month. At the beginning of the month, it's me and the group. I don't record or stream those conversations. They're just us talking. So if you want to join us and have a conversation, you're not being recorded and you're not on any of the platforms, you can ask questions and meet other people. That's at the beginning of every month. We have those, we chat, we talk about all sorts of things, movies that have come out and all sorts of things. Uh, you know, people disclose their experiences, feeling in a, in a safe environment. And then once a month, I have a guest teacher, which is in the middle of the month. And Don is our next guest teacher. Check him out on ATP. He's not a teacher per se. He is a person with unbelievably extraordinary experiences. And um, we're going to explore more of his experiences with Don. So that'll be fun. He's such a lovely man, such a beautiful man. And remember to check out the book Awakened by Death if you haven't already. And I will catch you on the next show. Thanks again for listening and watching and sharing the shows and leaving a comment and subscribing and all that great stuff. I really appreciate it. It really helps. Big love to all of you. Bye for now.